Only the brave-hearted dare to listen. If a path to the better there be, it begins with a full look at the worst. The disintegration of empire. Shake ourselves awake. Hello, I'm Michael Dowd, host of Post Doom, regenerative conversations exploring overshoot, grief, grounding, and gratitude. In this conversation, recorded in December of 2019, I speak with one of the main inspirers of this entire series, Barbara Cecil. And Barbara Cecil and Dar Jamel's Truth Outposts, How Then Shall We Live, was one of the main inspirations for this post-doom series. We titled this Inner and Outer. There are three previews. Here's the first preview. I think if you go just mental on this whole thing, I mean, I don't really think you're going to turn around, you know, big governments, and I don't think we're going to, you know, all the stuff that's trying to, it's happening, you know, at the COP25 meeting and everything. I, I, I just, I don't have a lot of faith in it, but I have faith in something else and maybe the faith in them together. But I don't, I don't think the, the straight and narrow view of cause and effect is going to do it here. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason that we need some, we need different ways of, of um, perceiving. Here's the second preview. Now the, the big transition, I feel like all that was cutting my teeth mm-hmm. for the huge transition that we're all in, that no one, no one can escape. Here's the third preview. I've lived with a constant awareness that there's a, um, there's the outer and then there's the inner and that they're related. So I, I listen to the news. I watch the trends. I look at what's going on and I am also tuned to how that's taking place internally. And I look at the link between the two. And that's the part about how then shall we live? Mm -hmm. Because how we think, how we manage ourselves, how we manage our relationships, how we make decisions, how we work with our heart. These all relate to the changing shape of things. The conversation begins. Well, Barbara, one of the things that I'd love to do in just beginning uh, this podcast or this conversation, this post-Doom conversation, is to invite you to share you know, whatever comes to mind for you. These are the questions I've been asking my other guests as well. And I know that you and I have co-hosted several. So you know these questions, but I'd love to hear your response to, you know, what language do you find yourself using for these times? How does post-doom as a, as a meme, as a, as a word uh, ring for you? Just anything you want to say about the language of this. Post-doom feels oversimplified to me. I think there's a a direction that we're moving that 
doesn't have a far side that it's a um, it's a waving process of uh, incremental change requiring constant adjustment adaptation uh, um, refreshed response just just a quick reminder i'm not using doom in the way that it's synonymous with collapse one is outer one is inner so post collapse would be sort of after the external events or or whatever post doom is simply what i'm trying to point to is the emotional state of like ug or oh shit or whatever that people get when we're not on perpetual progress and then working through whatever grief anger depression whatever we need to move through and then that whole universe or the whole space that opens up on the other side of what Paul Traverker calls finding the gift. So that's what I'm meaning by post-doom is that emotional space, the inner space of getting beyond mere acceptance of what's inevitable and then finding the whatever it is. I don't want to give language to it because I don't want to put my worldview out there for you, but um, that mm. the, I'm looking at the inner stuff is what we're, what I'm trying to focus on in terms of mm. post-doom. Mm, thank you for that clear distinction and uh, I don't even see that as a line um, where you get over it uh, I see it that just as the outer thing um, has iterations so too does the inner thing so that I would say there's a, a constant deepening and more understanding and more rearrangement that comes relative to the collapse mm -hmm. and that is a uh, an ongoing process and so i'm very thankful for this time of year in the dark and the quiet uh, in the pause to uh, calibrate relative to where we are now yeah yeah that's great barbara I'm curious, you know, as you know, this series, what I'm, what I'm really inviting various guests, uh, activists, authors, people who have been tracking this for some time and who have been also contributing to supporting others in dealing with whatever is coming up for them as you have. In fact, I'll just mention it here for anybody that didn't hear me mention this in other conversations that you and Dar, your truth outposts on how then shall we live was one of the main inspirations for this series in the first place. It was uh, Jim Bendel's uh, deep adaptation paper and then his other writings after that and interviews, mm. Catherine Ingram's Facing Extinction long form essay, uh, yours and Dar's truth out essays and, uh, and Paul Traferka's writings uh, on his um, Approaching the Limits website. The four of you all have been in the process of staying present to what's real articulating it very powerfully as Dar has been doing in his dispatches, but then also going that next step and um, uh, looking deeply and expressing your own vulnerability in terms of emotionally processing all this. So I want to allow you just to invite you to take as long as you want to share your story or journey or trajectory, but basically how, what was your worldview like growing up and how did you come to a climate understanding climate and, and, uh, just all the large-scale issues that we're now dealing with. For as long as I have can remember my life, I've been a middle child. I've been a, um, 
uh, kind of caught between different factions. I've been a bridging person. I'm, I'm a double Libra. I'm sort of tarred with that brush of listening. And somehow my going to graduate school and all the work that I did in my early years had to do with helping people um, find a deeper potential that existed in their relationships uh, personally or in groups or in organizations. I was an organizational development specialist with a focus on leadership. And I found myself always helping people move through transitions as times changed, as cycles changed, there was need to shift personally and in and relative to things external to help them adjust to be more in tune with the times and you know it used to be more effective or profitable or satisfying although those things don't interest me so much anymore now the the big transition i feel like all that was cutting my teeth for the huge transition that we're all in that no one no one can escape yeah. my understanding of my own examined life relative to transitions and my own work as coach and running an organization an international organization for women where we've assisted women from 19 different countries to learn to lead their lives in a more grounded, rooted, genuine, authentic way as they hit thresholds and points at which business as usual in their own lives no longer serves. Mm -hmm. So somehow I've landed here with the big one. I've lived with a constant awareness that there's a uh, there's the outer and then there's the inner and that they're related and that our um, so I I listen to the news I watch the trends I look at what's going on and I am also tuned to how that's taking place internally and I look at the link between the two. And that's the part about how then shall we live? Mm -hmm. Because how we think, how we manage ourselves, how we manage our relationships, how we make decisions, how we work with our heart, these all relate to the changing shape of things. Not just to help us situate in a more safe or secure way, but I feel those in the internal placement also has um it's a it's a form of activism that has a the the fulcrum that lives very close to home has its effects uh that may not easily be measured external to ourselves there's a lot of kinds of activism and i really appreciate what everybody's doing and in mine there's always an inner aspect Say a little bit more about that, if you would, because uh, what we're hoping for in this series, this post-Doom conversation series, 
is it seems to me that every season there'll be several million more people that have moved beyond either denial or functional denial, which is actually pretty normal and healthy and natural, but to the place where they're genuinely looking for mentors, they're looking for uh, sources of nourishment, sources of, of uh, sustenance, sources of, of help uh, in terms of how to deal with their own relating of their inner process and their outer process. So any specificity that you can give uh, would be useful to anybody watching or listening to this. Okay, well, uh, if you want, I'm gonna go for the big one that's present in my awareness and in my Please. observations. Please. And I haven't, I haven't said this out loud before, so it, uh, it's kind of the, an edge for me putting all this together. So it, pardon the, sloppiness okay. but i think that's part of it is being willing to go to the edge yeah. so i've i've been thinking about the the big trends that are happening right now and the ones that uh there are many but the ones that came to mind most recently are the uh the movement towards totalitarianism um and there are examples of things that are running counter to that. There's always a count, you know, there's always this, but that's a huge thing going on in the world. Um, I, um, definitely the desecration of the earth and the intensification of that, that our headlong rush into an unlivable earth is inescapable for anyone on the planet right now. The other one that um, that came to me just recently as I've been watching is has to do with the subjugation of women and the violence towards towards women. I've worked for 20 years with women and helping them find their voice and meaning, purpose, calling and leadership. And I have Interestingly enough, never called myself a feminist, and I've always been careful to say that the feminine belonged to men and women, because I didn't want to alienate, and I do believe that. Mm -hmm. But I am seeing something else now that's coming into clear focus for me. I, I, I reread an article the other day about something that happened in India on January 1st of this past year, 2019, where there was a, a chain, a shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder chain for almost 400 miles of 5 million women across India. And that was a protest uh, against uh, violence and exclusion of women. That is no small thing. And then another, uh, another thing that just happened was uh, reported by the BBC November 26 on what was designated the International Day for Elimination of Violence Against Women. And they, they were talking about femicide, and that was a new word to me. It was a, a photo story that the BBC did, and it was women from Chile, Argentina, Uruguay, France, Switzerland, Spain, Istanbul, Belgium, Sudan, and the US and Canada. And it has to do with women who are being murdered and violated. There is something going on here that's been around for a long time. 
and I, I want to name it. And, and the, the fourth trend that I would name does relate to this, and that is the genocide that's taking place towards Indigenous people, yeah. particularly like in the rainforest areas for the sake of oil and progress. And in North America, that these two, the, the femicide crosses over with the indigenous thing in an unbelievable phenomenon of missing and murdered of indigenous women. I mean, that's pretty grim, everything that I've just said. I'm, I, you know, I'm going big here. That's outer. Those are trends. Yeah. Um, what, you know, is there a name for this? Do all these things relate to one another? Yes, they do. Uh, in the Cree language, there is a word called um, weitiko, and I just want to say this. It's the sickness of exploitation, consuming another's life force for one's own purpose and profit. Yeah. So it's like a disease, yes. and the same disease is powering all this stuff. So we live in a diseased world, and our own experience is diseased because we've grown up in uh, the atmosphere and the values and the assumptions that have caused a lot of this, especially for, you know, uh, white people like me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm looking at, um, as a woman, how does the feminine relate to all of this? And... There's something very close to the bone, which begins to um, provide a different force field, certainly personally and possibly collectively. And it relates to very deep um, regard and implication of what I would call the feminine and a different starting place that is needed and so my um my question is how do i do that and and you know beyond that how do i support that in both men and women on beyond myself but that's that inner and outer thing again for me you cannot look at the earth without looking at her her um, long, long, long-term guardians who yes. live by her law yes. and are one and the same. Yes, I wholeheartedly agree. And, and to my mind, again, should any humans survive this bottleneck, um, there is no way to live sustainably. There is no way to live in a non-self-destructive way other than the way that indigenous peoples, first peoples, tribal peoples, people who love the land as a greater thou, not a lesser it. And these are our teachers. And what, what's occurring to me fresh in this conversation is that the resistance movements, the resistance movements against totalitarianism, the resistance movements against the further rape of the planet and the further desecration of, of the, 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 the sacred living biosphere, the further, the, the resistance to the uh, evil perpetrated against women, um, and the resistance that indigenous peoples are largely leading in many cases to all of these, maybe some of the most holy work, if not the most holy work, but resistance itself is, I'm seeing it increasingly as a necessary thing for me to be more, more engaged in. Mm -hmm. um, anyway. Please continue. So, this morning I was thinking about kidney stones. <laughs> okay. 
because I am looking for some different models um, to either undergird these movements and the resistance, as you're calling it, um, or to co to complement it in some particular way. And um, so I got into this inquiry about, um, okay, I know that one of the ways that you get rid of kidney stones is they blast them with a sonar thing. It's sound, this large, wide-spectrum thing that cracks up, cracks up the stone. Then I got to thinking about the stories I read about Ella Fitzgerald, that they, she was asked by Memorex, which, which had these new great speakers, to see if she could actually do that thing where you break a glass um, with your voice. And um, they amplified the voice through the Memorex speakers, mm -hmm. and she broke the glass mm -hmm. because it, uh, it, the vibration was loud enough to break up the glass. And what I'm noticing that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the resistance isn't working. And I keep right. looking for the other, some other. And that's how I'm getting into this more deeper feminine force that can augment um, back up what traditional resistance looks like, which is good for those who are resisting um, and is highly needed and is not enough because it, it, the ship is not turning. Uh, I don't think any of the resistance movements of those are going to be effective. The only thing that they're doing, in my opinion, is they're, they're nurturing the souls of those engaged in them. They are confronting what is in fact evil and they are planting seeds that should any human survive in pockets of humanity post-collapse of industrialism, post-extinction of Homo Colossus, that uh, the seeds are planted so that, so that humanity, the prodigal species, can come home to reality, to life, to God, G-O-D-D-E, that is the, the living ecosphere as divine. Um, but I'd love to hear more about what you're sort of leaning into or intuiting into. So I'm going to say something that may sound really naive, really simplistic, um, but it's hitting home to me at the moment. And I'm very happy for a conversation from, with others who can fill in a lot of the blanks that are present in, in my thinking. But, but if, you, if you say that that glass that Ella Fitzgerald broke was um, our system, the, the, our system that has cracks in it. Uh, it's a lot easier to break a, um, a glass that has cracks in it, by the way, and all the research that I've done about this. Um, and we've got, certainly we have cracks all over the place in our developed Western systems. And um, so where, where does that um, amplified vibration come from that can either, you know, break up a kidney stone or, you know, explode a glass? Mm -hmm. And that's very close to home that is that does honor the deep um the deep that uh, honor gaia or, or god as you're calling it g-o-d-d-e that lives deep within us so that for me is um that is the amplification that's the memorex system um mm. <laughs> that is the application of an alternative vibration lifestyle values if you want to look mm -hmm. at it that way but it it is a, um, it's an energy and it sources very close to home. Where in the most 
intimate sense is the source of the feminine energetic. And um, I think there's a lot of ways to get to it, but the three of them came to me today. Uh, um, one of them is very, very deep listening for interior impulse. Okay. That there is a guidance system um, that lives within each one of us. And when we build the conditions for listening and the muscle and courage for following what we hear, there is a, um, a source for us that tells us how to be in these times. It tells us what's our piece in the thing rather than just following the lead, you know, another mm -hmm. leader. Um, but it's an, it, it's an, an interior um, connection. And for me, when someone lives from that place, there's gravitas, there's weight to their living, there's mm -hmm. elder quality, I don't mm -hmm. care how old they are, um, and there's a force field around them, and whatever they decide to do carries more weight than someone who is not sourced at this level. Yes, yeah. The second thing is um, right placement. And this is for me also part of in tune with the ultimate, you know, universal um, mm -hmm. design. Uh, and that sounds very lofty and bringing it right down to terms is our, um, our relationship to other people. And, you know, some people, they call this boundaries and you, you know, you go to Al-Anon to figure out what that is so that you can be more, um, you know, healthy and all that I love. But when you get a solar system where everything's in its right place, the right distance from each other, the whole works. And the right distance so that the maximum amount of creativity and flow can be born out of these fields. Mm. And these fields are where the, the, the new world is born. They are the, the, it is the field of the feminine. It is creation herself. And it needs the field of our connections done meticulously. And that means cleaning up a lot of wounds because mm -hmm. we usually place ourselves and sustain ourselves where they are because of things that we need, because stuff that happened that was shitty in our childhood. So I'm just, I'm all for, you know, getting this cleaned up so we can get going here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That's the second thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is attention paid and respect paid to cycles yeah. because we are so out of sync with a natural natural cycles of birth and death mm -hmm. at just literal big levels we don't know how to, we don't know how to do endings we don't know how to stop doing things that need to be stopped that are no longer serving us or anybody else we don't know when to listen for the next thing you know we don't know how to do beginnings that are born out of silence our mind is so busy because it can't stand not being employed thinking up the next thing that would be good to do and doing it as fast as possible and especially as it relates to fixing this whole bloody climate situation very close in our own lives so 
getting in sync, even though it may seem like you're doing nothing, you know, I don't think there's in North America much that you can do right now in these weeks until the solstice that actually has viability and roots and power because you're, it, things are not initiating right now. So if you think you're initiating something, listen once, twice, three times to see where that's coming from. So if you tune into the natural cycle of things, something may build that can show up uh, in a few months from now, if you're patient and not superimposing your need to be meaningful and engaged and employed right off the bat. So that's the cycle. So all of these things are deep feminine sensitivities. They live in men and women. And if we are sourced by them, there is a um, um, power and um, influence through the things that we choose to do. And on top of that, the collective piece that this is the, the Memorex piece, mm -hmm. the amplification on Ella Fitzgerald's voice. Mm -hmm. When there are enough people doing this, it's the, it's the intensification of that source and that energy that can actually break up these foul, devastating, murderous systems mm. that are dominating mm. the planet right now. Mm. And I, I, pay, I pay deep respect to Native communities that um, that's why they've sustained themselves for, you know, 15,000 years in harmony because of where they sourced themselves from. Yes. Okay, that was a big lecture, but there you go. Wow, that was just kick us Buddhist. Uh, really, I mean, I'm so grateful that you went into that with the passion that you did, because it's exactly in alignment with what I'm hoping for in this series, is to, uh, uh, you know, invite guests to really share what's fresh, what's up in terms of their worldview, understanding their heart, their passion in this, and the way you articulated both the sort of the four trends and then these what what would you call these three that you just articulated are ways to attune to the deep feminine creative feminine creative universal force which has is the very thing that has been squished and we need to reconnect with personally and together so that we we serve that yeah, you know, it's interesting because the way that you're using the word feminine, I'm noticing every time you've done so, I think to myself, well, that's what I'm meaning by divine, um, because divine is all about the whole. It's about the, the, the well-being of the whole. It's about honoring limits. It's about, you know, there are healthy ways of being masculine that have been so lost in colonizing um, really anthropocentric cultures. Um, it seems to me that once we domesticated, quote unquote, the living world, uh, plants and animals, and entered into a more mastery relationship rather than a mutually enhancing relationship that we see a, um, the, the, the masculine dimension of things uh, not being healthfully, healthfully expressed as they are in pro-future cultures, but in a rather dysfunctional way as they are in most anti-future cultures. And so your use of feminine and my use of the word divine, I'm noticing just in terms of my own sort of worldview is very, very similar. It's embodied, it's incarnate, it's living, it's, 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 it's respectful. It's, um, it's practical, it's 
courageous. It's passionate. Mm-hmm. It's respectful. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yes. Wow. That was so great. Well, Barbara, there's a question that I've been asking some of the other guests in this series as the last question, but I feel led to invite you to respond to it in the context of what you just shared these last 10 or 15, 20 minutes. And that is related to what is your sense of what's still possible and what is beyond our control or no longer possible. Um, uh, Both at the inner level and also in terms of the outer world. I remain in the, in the don't know camp. Mm -hmm. And I'm wary of those who are so sure that they know. Because of this category of the other, there are many influences that our um, brains cannot comprehend. And... the kind of deep listening and openness and um, abiding in directives that come from a deeply sourced place accesses that other. And I think if you go just mental on this whole thing, I mean, I don't really think you're going to turn around, you know, big governments and I don't think we're going to, you know, all the stuff that's trying to, it's happening, you know, at the COP25 meeting and everything. I, I, I just, I don't have a lot of faith in it. Um, But I have faith in something else and maybe the faith in them together. Um, But I don't, I don't think the, the straight and narrow view of cause and effect is going to do it here Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason that we need some we need different ways of of um, perceiving there's been a lot of mental arrogance and that obviates the other and i'm very very interested in making space for that yeah yeah well that's great and so i want to go to two other questions I would love to hear you respond to from this place that you've been articulating. And that is one related to the overarching great story, big picture, epic of evolution, like the large narrative of physical evolution, biological evolution, cultural evolution as one uh, evidence-based modern day creation myth. And how has that or has that story in some way been helpful to you in, in coming to terms with all this and in, and in the work that you do? Um, and then the other question relating to impermanence and death. So let's take the, the first one. Has the universe story or epic of evolution been something that has been nurturing or supportive to you in this process? Or is it just something that you don't think a whole lot about? I don't think a whole lot about it. But the one thing I would say is I think that um, I do believe that we're in an aberration, not a rightful evolutionary healthy process. Yes. yes that I... we have distorted and destroyed something which naturally blossoms. Yeah. 
No, no, exactly. The second question relates to impermanence and death that, for example, myself, by holding impermanence and death as a sacred aspect of the nature of reality, the reality of the universe that we live in, the nature of our own nature, um, and by being genuinely at peace with my own mortality and being at peace with our species mortality, recognizing that whether we last another 50 years or 5 million years, we're going to go extinct at some point. And even 5 million years from now, that's on a cosmic timeline is not very long. And so I'm wondering how you think about impermanence and death. And is there a way that you hold the realities of impermanence and death, mortality, that are spiritually or emotionally helpful to you? Well, this is my, it's one and the same as my interest in attunement to natural cycles. Of course, and yes. That, and that comes in very close. So it's natural. Yeah. And coming back to earth, coming back to natural cycles, puts us in touch with natural cycles of life and death. Yeah. And there are a million opportunities with how we deal with death in our families, how we deal with illness in ourselves, how we deal with uh, the passing of a dog, um, but how we deal with becoming an empty nester as your child leaves and that whole portion of your life is over. Um, how you deal with a divorce, something that's over. It's For me, this is the, you know, you're asking it in great cosmic terms and I'm bringing it very close to home. Yes. Um, I took a walk this morning and uh, just was so intensely moved by the way the light came through the cedar trees. My appreciation and reverence for life is as it's never been before. Yeah. I have very good friends that live in Australia, New South Wales. And the fires burning there are almost more than the mind can take. And my heart breaks. And I, I hold them. I hold them daily in prayer, um, in awareness, in love. Those are practices that uh, all kinds of new practices that need to come into place. Mm -hmm. Or repurposing and re, re, uh, uh, reviving, restoring, um, regenerating practices that perhaps has been a part of our past or our tradi the, pa the, the past of our traditions and then brought into this new context. Mm. I have a, an elder friend, um, her name is Ann Dozier, and Ann is uh, into her, well into her 90s and has, she's not well uh, now, but she um, was a pipe carrier and with a very long tradition of ceremony. And every, uh, along with her, community of fellow women pipe carriers. She had her own practices and every day she 
regardless of the weather, took off her shoes and went into her backyard. And she held the world in her pipe. She bowed to the ancestors in all the directions and to Father Sky, the star people, and Mother Earth. And she named out loud the people, the circumstances, the aspects of Earth which needed to be held in the pipe. I am not a pipe carrier, but there is a, a bowl in me that holds. And I know how to create a sacred atmosphere and how to hold things in that and how to trust spirit to have its way, to do things that the human mind could never begin to fix or care for. How to give these things over to the spirit and to trust is the practice of my life now. Thank you for listening. For the videos of all 75 of my post-Doom conversations, as well as other post-Doom resources, visit postdoom.com.